and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you today. Dr. Mark Kukazella is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out his first appearances on Boundless Body Radio on episode 25, all about low-carbohydrate diets and endurance sport, and episode 40, all about foot health. Dr. Kukazella is a family medicine doctor working in West Virginia. He discovered the low-carbohydrate diet in 2012 and has been using it successfully in his practice ever since. He has been a national-level master's runner, having competed for over 35 years with more than 100 marathon and ultra-marathon finishes. As a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force, he writes the United States Air Force Efficient Running Program, designed to promote healthier and better running. He is also the author of the book, Run for Your Life, how to run, walk, and move without pain or injury and achieve a sense of well-being and joy, which he wrote in 2018. He owns the running store Two Rivers Treads, which is our favorite place to order our minimalist shoes. Two Rivers Treads has all the tools you need to keep your feet happy and healthy so you can perform the activity that you love with joy, spring, and efficiency. Dr. Mark Cucuzzella, what an honor it is to welcome you back to Boundless Body Radio. Well, thank you, Casey. That was a kind introduction. I'm, I'm standing at my store now and in back room, so if you hear a little noise or disruption, I'm in a little bit of a public space, but that's cool. Yeah, that's uh, totally fine. A little, little place of fun and joy for me. Ah, uh, that's a small great. community running store. We, you know, get people outside and hopefully get them to move without pain. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm so glad that you decided to open that store. And we have to say, customer service is off the charts. You guys are so good with your Zoom fittings. It, I've never set foot in the store, yet we've ordered several pairs of shoes from you guys. And dealing with your staff is amazing. You get a real sense of passion and community that you guys provide. It's not just the shoes, but it's all the running events and the clinics. I see it all the time on social media. You guys are really getting out in the community. It's awesome. Well, thank you. I think, you know, there aren't many like locally owned, small, independent running retails left. You know, everything's being kind of bought up by, you know, fleet feed organizations and corporate, you know, larger corporations. So, but if you do, if you're out there, you know, you're in Utah and I'm in West Virginia, but if you have a small community running store, support them if they're a, a store that gives back to the community because that big box store is not putting anything back into your local economy. You know, almost all the assets that they would, uh, raises revenue, go to their big corporate engine, wherever that is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I love to spend a little bit more at my local bike shop and I'll always try to bring the mechanics, you know, a bunch of energy drinks, um, or snacks or whatever. And, and I feel like supporting them in that setting is so much better than ordering parts from a place where maybe I could save a few bucks, but that that money is not staying inside the community. I love to support those, those businesses that do a really good job. Yeah, and they're local jobs, you know, I mean, there's low, whether it's a bookstore or a bike shop, they're putting, you know, local youth to work and good summer jobs and, you know, better than McDonald's where they're probably not going to be good for their health. And you hope that what they learn here as an employee might take them somewhere else in their career. We've had three physical therapists come out of the store, a fascia wow. massage therapist come out of the store. So people develop like a passion and an interest that takes them to somewhere else. And some like just like still like serving in the store and, and look at this as a lifelong career. So everybody, you know, has, has a place and something they learn from working in a small community retail store. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So preparing for this interview, I got to go back and listen to our first interviews, which was equally fun to hear you in our discussion back in the day. Uh, it's equally painful to hear how bad <laughs> the podcast quality was back in the day. And I always hate the sound of my own voice, but, um, that was a time, this was in the fall of 2020 when I was just starting my transition onto minimal footwear and, and more barefoot. And now I'm sitting here, I've got my texture ball that feels really nice on my feet. I've got my toe spacers in, you know, we do everything 
anything either barefoot or very minimalist shoes. Vivo Barefoot is one of my favorite brands. We also mm -hmm. love minimal sandals. So uh, really are loving uh, Earthrunner sandals. Um, really fantastic. And I have to, t I, I cannot, I could not predict how much better I feel now than I did when we first had that conversation. I was really bummed out that I was going to throw away, you know, thousands of dollars worth of, worth of shoes that I'd accumulated. And I could not imagine going back to some of those shoes. I mean, do you get that all the time? Yeah, yeah, it's a slow process, you know, so you're retraining your feet and you're learning to reconnect with the ground. And, you know, when your foot can feel the ground, it actually can retrain itself as a spring. So when your foot's actually working beautifully, you have this wonderful spring on your feet. And then that's like when we run, you know, the spring system in our body, the fascia system returns energy. We don't want to like burn calories and burn energy to move. We want to do it like super easy and efficient. That's right. fun, you know, so, so the goal of running or any movement isn't burning calories. It's to do something that brings you joy and do it as efficiently as possible. And that's what, what barefoot training will do. Now, if you have to go, like, say you're up there and you want to go run the Wasatch 100, or I'm, you know, I'm just kind of making up the name from some ultra trail run on hundreds of miles of rocks. That's right. Put some cushion on your feet because you've trained your feet to get strong and feel the ground and move better. But, you know, there's going to be a role out there if you're doing a an aggressive trail run or something with pack, you probably do want to have a little protection, but still you want to have a wide shoe. You want to have it flat, meaning the front and the back are not pitched different. You know, it's not stacked up, you yeah. know? So I think ultra shoes were founded in Utah. That's right. You know, so, so that's a golden Harper's dad. Hawk Harper had a small, I think still has a small running store. I believe maybe it's in Provo, but you could okay. look it up, but he's, we're still out there. Yeah. Started the whole movement, really. Yeah. And all of their shoes are named after locations in Utah, which is kind of cool. Lone Peak. Lone Peak and the Escalante and all those. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. Like, you, you, you can still train barefoot, but be really considerate about what your application is going to be for footwear. And you can still find great brands out there that, yeah, maybe they have a little bit of cushion and you probably need that if you're doing some of those things in trails, but by and large, just, just the ability to have your toes spread, grabbing the earth and really get that feel and, and, and that roll through the big toe. It's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Everyone, everyone should do a little bit of barefoot training. You don't have to go run a lot, just walk barefoot. You know, walk around your house barefoot and you'll start to, these muscles will start to wake up a little bit. You know, yeah. There's no downside to it, right? There's absolutely no danger, no downside. Don't go do a 10 mile barefoot run your first run. Obviously that wouldn't be too smart. Like right. any training and adaptation. And, and you go by feel like we were talking about before we recorded. If it feels good, it's good. If it's not giving you a good response, say you're trying that and it's not giving you a good response, don't keep doing it. But if you're doing something, whether it's your diet, you know, your exercise, whatever type of exercise amount or footwear, if it's giving you a good response, continue. That's good. That like our brain tells us what's beneficial and what's not, even if your garment or something's telling you some, something else, not like, like become intuitive with what your senses are. Yeah. You know, the, the, the sandals you mentioned, I mean, I think there really is something to earthing, you know, in this grounding and there's some good videos on it and some good literature. And I don't know the science, but I feel I run almost exclusively barefoot in the summer. I mean, barefoot, barefoot. I have a beautiful golf course right next to me and they let me run in the morning on it. Nice. And that's just like nirvana. And then I'll run on the smooth roads too. You know, once my feet have gotten a little adapted, that smooth pavement's actually glorious to run barefoot, not gravel stuff. That's why we invented shoes and moccasins you know cut stones and gravel are sharp but smooth 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 fresh pavement oh gosh and you can't scrape the ground right you have to land like perfect like a cat if you're in your bare feet yep. or else the pavement will take your skin with it 
but play around a little bit with that if you're listening and, and just see where it takes you. I think everyone, when they were a kid, would be on the beach barefoot. You wouldn't think about wearing shoes. That's and right. Now you see all the people wearing shoes running on the beach. Yeah. You know, and it's back old school, like no one ever ran on the beach with shoes. Right. So no, that, the feet, that's a really, you know, yeah, that's a really, really good point. I would have never imagined that when I started this transition that the hard surfaces would actually be better. I thought the softer surfaces would be better, but you're right. You're, you have to adapt your foot to be soft and land soft. And, and it totally changes the way you run. Like it, it, it basically like perfects your running form without you doing anything different. It's pretty cool. It's funny that you mentioned the beaches. We've got lots of playgrounds around here with a lot of sand up by the lake. It's so funny to see all the little kids jettisoning their shoes that are like every single day we find like random pairs of shoes that the kids have left and they know they know what's up they want their feet in the sand they they want on the playground exactly Uh, actually we could share in the show notes i I wrote a textbook chapter for a sports podiatry textbook on children's shoes and i thought they would never accept it casey because the hypothesis of the chapter going back to like literature from 1904 was the ideal shoe design is is barefoot you know looked at all the literature of what happened you know, do different societies that don't wear shoes and look at their foot structure and this, even the small studies done, you know, you would think if you have a quote collapsed arch in your four, you know, meaning like your, your foot feet muscles are kind of decommissioned. Let's just support that arch with an arch support and say you're a four-year-old kid, their odds of having dysfunctional flat feet later in life, would you guess, is it higher or lower than if you just left that kid alone? Yeah, that's right. It's, I, I think it's of it as like leaving worse, a cast right? on. You're bracing your foot. Yeah. So if you just leave the kid alone and let him, he's learning how to walk, just let the kid walk around and use just like your hands, right? If we, if we put, you know, mittens on our hands and baseball gloves, because at age four, they weren't working well and they needed support, your hands would be dysfunctional. So, so somehow we don't apply that to, you know, what is probably a more complicated anatomic structure, the foot than the hand, you know, it's 26 bones, 33 joints, a hundred muscle tendon insertions. So I think there's, you know, and all of these joints move in triplanar motion. You know, these aren't like hinge joints. They're, this is like way more complex than I think anyone's brain can get around. Yeah. So, so we look at evolutionary biology to give us the message of let's just treat the foot as it's designed to be treated. And then maybe at the end of the day, you know, we won't have a bunch of orthotic wearing adults. That's right. You know, but that, That's that right. might be true. Wow. Again, the kid, get them in. We sell the Vivo Barefoot Kids Shoes here. You know, minimal zero shoe kid shoes, the little sandals, things like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Dr. Irene Davis told us the best thing that we could do is make sure you start young and keep them in minimal shoes. If you can do that, yeah. you'll avoid a lot of the issues that a lot of people have when they are grown up. Yeah. She's a great colleague. I've been to her lab and actually been in a couple of her experiments of running the Boston Marathon in sandals and five fingers. And they look at loading rates, you know, so, so you look at what's happening and she had uh, uh, year one year she had three groups she had one with a complete minimal which was like a five finger another cushion shoes and another group which were which she called kind of partial minimalist which would be like racing class they have a little bit of cushion and a surprising thing from that from what they saw in the data you would think the uh the the barefoot group obviously had the lowest she called them loading rates meaning like how kind of softly do you land like like do you land like or do you land more so, you know, like, yeah, you, you deal with the, like jumping off of a box, like a box jump, you know, do you land like a cat or is the gym shaking? So the group that was barefoot landed the softest, they had the lowest loading rates, but the group that actually landed the hardest was the group in a thinner shoe with cushion, because likely that group 
had trained in cushion shoes, didn't change their gait, and put a thinner shoe on for race day and hadn't changed their gait. So that group may actually be at risk because they're now running in less protection than the group with the bigger thick shoe because that cushion will allow a blunting, right? If you jump off a box into you know, a, a pad you know, that's got some EVA foam, right? You could land locked out knees, locked out heel, you know, if you had no shoes, right, you can't even imagine, boom, that would like, no, <laughs> that would hurt in six inches. But you could land on a pad, you know, a few feet off the ground if it was soft enough. So you could land completely wrong, you know, but over time. But again, do what works for you. If you're sore after your run, probably you're doing something wrong. You're never sore after returning from a barefoot run because your feet don't let you. It's like a governor, right? Like your feet actually don't let you work harder. It's like you always feel better when you come back in the door. It's like, it's really insane. Like you never, like, it's weird. Go try it. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an adaptation to, to be like completely barefoot. Yeah. No, that's a really it's great a point. A little bit of a, a fun challenge. You know, all of us have like the, and this isn't a one week fitness challenge, right? Like you said, Casey, two years or whatever, like we first chatted or you first called my store. It's like two to three years of like adapting to a low carb diet. This isn't a three week clinical trial. That's right. This is a whole change in how your body's metabolism is working. Yep. No, that's right. Oh, I love that. We could talk about feet <laughs> for the entire hour, which would be totally fine. I, I do want to say it was really great to run into you at Keto Salt Lake um, 2022, which was great. Always great to see you and, and hear you as a speaker. Um, your talk was all about compassion and healthcare, which I absolutely loved. And I would argue that if you shuffled up the names of the presenters and shuffled up the names of the talks they were going to present, I could probably pretty easily say if anybody's going to talk about compassion and healthcare, it's going to be Dr. Kukazella. Maybe Dr. Eric Westman would be a very, very close runner up there. He's such a nice guy as well. But I, I know this is something you um, really are very passionate about and deal with a lot because you are on the ground. You're in a population that is really compromised as far as health goes. And so I want to kind of talk about that in our discussion today, and we can go in lots of different directions. But before we do, can you remind our audience, since it's been a little while since you've been on our show, can you remind our audience how you got into medicine and how you found low carbohydrate diets to begin with? I got into medicine as a broken runner. You know, as an athlete in college, <laughs> always broken. And um, we had a mad scientist, sports med doc. His name was Dr. Dan Colin, our orthopedist. And, uh, you know, I took in, he took interest in me. So maybe back to the compassion. You know, compassion is I will do everything I can to help you, right? It's not just empathy. You know, man, that really sucks to be you today. You're, you know, your foot's busted up. It's like, that sucks to be you today. Your foot's busted up, but I will do everything to help you. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but like my first visit with him, he took like an hour with me and he's making these little inserts in a toaster oven. He puts me on a treadmill. He didn't have fancy gait analysis, but he had his eyes and he's like, you know, he's like the guy on back to the future, you know, the scientist guy. And he's like, his, you can see the things churning in his head and he's like, let's try this, you know, and, and like tweak it and look at my shoes. You know, so he had stuff going on that was like, but he cared about me. So, so that was really cool. Um, and uh, he, he and, and, and I, after a couple visits with him, I'm like, man, he looks like he's having fun. Like, he looks like he enjoys what he's doing. Like, cause I felt good. Like I was like, wow, this, like someone's taking an interest in, in me. I, I want to do what he does. And I would, maybe I want to go to med school. I didn't really know much about med school or didn't have any medical background in my family. So that inspired me to, you know, fill out that application, you know, for medical school. 
And uh, my senior year of med school followed him around quite a bit just when I had some free time and saw what he did. And I, you know, I thought I was going to, the only thing I knew as a college kid was sports medicine, you know, if I didn't know anything else, because I didn't have any other illnesses at that time, you know, I was just busted up runner as we all were. And, but then when I got into medical school, I was on an Air Force scholarship. And uh, so, so the, the field of like family med flight medicine dealt more with, you know, athletics, uh, disease prevention, training, physical fitness, fit for duty. And I found that that was kind of more my space than the orthopedic side, which was kind of, fi- you know, fixing injuries, um, you know, operative side. So, so I kind of morphed in, into that space and the, in the military, that's, that's most of the sports med is done in that kind of, in that box and that house it doesn't go to the orthopedic surgeon. They fix the, the trauma uh, bones and, and, you know, combat injuries, right? A lot of that stuff, as you see, come back from theater. So, so that was my career. I did about 10 years active duty and uh, remained on reserves, retired in 2017. So I did about close to 30 years, 29 years, got involved in their fitness programs, training. We would do seminars all over the world on these topics. So, so that really brought, brought me joy. Um, I got into the kind of low carb metabolic spaces. A couple of things happened. I was assigned for six months to look at failure rates of the fitness test and design some programs to help people address their failures, you know, like programmatic type things. And we built online modules, but I noticed the obesity rate and the failure rate went up like a, you know, linear, you know, so worse the obesity, worse failure rate. And it kind of made logical sense. You know, if you're carrying around a lot of weight, it's probably harder to run. Yeah. And I'd been trained of the assumption, well, these people just need to eat less and exercise more. You know, it's about 2010, 11, somewhere around there. And uh, just by, you know, odd chance, you know, you're, I had six months to work on this and you start like the internet was around then. And I somehow came across Gary Taub's New York Times Magazine article. Maybe it's all been a big fat lie. You know, you're just searching and I just pulled it up and I read it and I was like, that's fascinating. So I got his book, which was published in 2008, Good Calories, Bad Calories, like a 450 page tome, read it three times. Wow. Like this makes absolute sense, you know, like just scientifically, um, because I, you know, as much as I told people to exercise more and eat less, it never worked. And then when I looked at the Air Force data case, like it, they were all doing the same PT and exercise. It wasn't, that wasn't the factor. So there must be something about the metabolism and the diet and just how kind of things kind of clash in your life at the same time. You know, we have to go in, you know, dudes don't go to doctors, you know, unless they're required by military duty. You know, so my, my fasting glucose was up near full diabetes range and my A1C was in the mid sixes. And, uh, you know, so I was at one of the major Air Force bases and they sent me over to the endocrine shop and they drew a test called a C-peptide. And I'd never, I'd heard of it. It was one of those med school board questions. It's something about making insulin. And uh, mine was uh, barely detectable. It was a 0.3. And if any docs listening kind of knows what that means. So I was highly insulin insufficient, you know, on the verge of full type one, um, put a glucose monitor on at that time. They were more used for research, a continuous glucose monitor and saw what the fluctuations were with my standard kind of running diet. So you can stay in the military if you're not fully diagnosed or on medications of diabetes. So if you keep your A1C less than 6.5 and you're not on medications, you know, by the book, you're, you don't need to go through a medical board. So I was able to keep, I went full food pyramid upside down in like a day as soon as wow. I saw that CD. And the good news is, you know, I, because I had read Gary Taub's, like if, if I hadn't run into Gary Taub's and read his book, 
my father had a heart attack at 35, triple bypass at 35. I would have been like, well, this is crazy. You know, like if I, you know, meat and eggs, I'm going to have a heart attack. But I knew pretty much straight on, there's absolutely no risk. I had no fear in turning the food pyramid upside down and eating way more protein, fat, less carbohydrate, because I'd done that background reading. And, you know, my glucose is stabilized, um, you know, and I've been 20 to 30 grams of carbs a day for the last uh, 10 plus years, wow. you know, with the monitor on now that stays, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I eat nutrient dense foods, I run. And, uh, you know, so I've been able to manage my own way of uh, living that way. Wow. You know, everyone decide on their own how they would manage that condition. I didn't want to be a medical patient. And, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into that space a little bit. So then I came back and, you know, probably after about a year of living that way and knowing, okay, you can eat, you know, plants and animals. It's fine in the rest of your life. This isn't extreme. <laughs> you know, after I'd played with it for about a year, you know, you kind of come out, right? You're like, okay, should I challenge the system and say, well, I think we should be talking to diabetes patients about this. You know, then you have to go do a lot more reading and it probably wasn't until I went down to South Africa and was doing a sports med course with Prof Noakes, Professor Tim Noakes. And he was, this may have been 2013, somewhere around there. Um, so, uh, he, you know, we're down in Cape Town. And he's like, he's like, you know, Mark, I'm going to talk about nutrition. And um, I was like, great, you know, because he's like the guy, right? He's always yeah. scientific, right? He'll challenge everything, make you think. So he gave this two-hour lecture. And he's like, yeah, that, this I think I think I'm right about this. It was the first time he'd actually given a full lecture about his story and about low carbohydrates and insulin resistance and disease. And he said this, he said, it's taken me five years to be able to come out and say, I think I'm right. Because he says, I've read everything. There's not a single person on the planet who's outread me, which is true. That guy's crazy. He's Knowing like him, that would be true. It would be true. So, so like, the fact that he spent five years and read everything on the planet, I felt pretty good that, that what I was doing wasn't rogue. You know, like, well, like, okay, I don't need to spend five years and, and read as many articles as Prof. I'll trust Prof. He's like my wingman. It's like Phil Maffetone. I've oh. had Phil on. Oh, yeah. He's he, amazing. He's Yoda. I mean, like, if totally. Phil says it's true, you, you don't challenge him because you know it's from 40 years of experience. You go read everything, you come back, and you're like, I get it now, right? If he says it's true. Yeah. But maybe if he says it's true, it's probably true. It's you know, true. None of them are absolutely, they say, well, you know, I, I think this is right, right? They'll say that, you know, I, I think this is right. But again, that's why we do science. None of us, you know, have all the answers. But so that was then kind of from there on, that's, I mean, it's, it does wonderful things for patients. I mean, every day, you know, you see patients come off their meds, lose weight, feel better, feel better, right? They feel better. That's the key thing, right? I feel better. I have energy now. I don't want brain fog. I can see again, you know, like because they're bad diabetes, they're just foggy. I, I sleep better. You know, I can exercise again. Like you name, not hungry all the time. My joints feel better. Lady yesterday, psoriasis going away. Like you wow. name it, you know, asthma, COPD getting better because they're burning carb, they're burning fats versus carbohydrates, less CO2 production, you know. So you name the chronic disease. It's not that it's going to cure them all. But it's rare to see any chronic disease not improve with improved dietary change. Yeah. 
if Good there's point. anything to do with insulin resistance. Good point. No, I, I, it's, it's, I'm so glad you used the word joyful because I totally agree. That's a really great word to use to describe this. And you kind of take it for granted both ways. Like you, if you've been on low carb long enough, you kind of forget what it feels like to feel crappy. I just went to the store and bought a few things for a really simple meal later tonight. And you walk mm-hmm. by these aisles of all these bright colors and boxes and bags and cans like screaming at you. And they, it's not even like a temptation. They, they don't. They don't look good anymore. And I remember that was all no, that I would shop for would be in the middle of the store. Now I don't buy anything in the middle of the store, but you also take it for granted the other way. If you're experiencing brain fog and your sleep sucks and you get hangry or, you know, you can't do the things you love. You don't have the energy to go on a walk with your family or play with your kiddos. You, you just look around and say, well, this is what everybody else has experienced. So this must be the dad bod. This must be getting old. This must be, you know, that's that slow, steady decline. It just doesn't have to be that way in either way we take it for granted yeah yeah a lot of times people don't know what it feels like to feel good but then when they think back they're like oh it makes sense now yeah. you know so for uh, you know here just share a case because i think it um, pulls out everything with what you, you know what we talked about even before we got on you know about caring for people and compassion so i had a patient i saw yesterday um one of my urgent care colleagues you know t- texted me and said, you know, you know, can you see this patient? He came in for a urinary tract infection and uh, he was wise enough. He saw he was spilling a bunch of sugar in the urine, 57 year old guy. And he'd lost about 30 or 40 pounds in the last couple of years, not intentionally. So he drew, he couldn't get it immediately. So he drew a hemoglobin A1C on the patient, which is an average blood sugar. And his value came back 24 hours later greater than 14, greater than 14. So, so meaning wow. his blood sugar the last three months at least were greater than 400 at least, but greater than 15, like what's the ceiling? And so the, this guy actually calls my, my clinic and someone at the front staff says, I'm not taking patients and they turn him away, which right there is not good. So he goes to his uh, regular primary doc and the, the primary doc doesn't even check his sugar um, sent, sends him on his way with some more blood tests, doesn't teach him glucometer. I mean, here's a guy who walks in with a hemoglobin A1C greater than 14, and they don't even check his sugar in the regular clinic. That's crazy. Um, it's crazy. Like, you know, you're like, that's crazy. They just send him on his way. And you're like, and I just call him. I say, look, you know, my colleague at the urgent care thought you'd be a good person to see. Can you come in this afternoon? He says, well, I just saw my doc. Uh, you know, I think I'm good. I'm, and I, you know, em- empathetically and just, you know, it, no one's right or wrong here. I said, well, look, I've reviewed your stuff and I, I'm concerned you may have type one diabetes. You know, your A1C is greater than 14 and you're losing weight. You know, did this morning, did they test you for an insulin level, a C-peptide? And he's like, no. Did they talk to you about insulin? And he's like, no. Did they tell you to check your sugar? He's like, no. And so he, and so we'll come in and we'll, we'll just, let's sort this out because, um, yeah, you, you need help. So he comes in and certainly he doesn't know anything. He's a former Air Force guy. And this guy had actually been in an ER in 2019 with a sugar of 300 and a fungal urinary infection, which means it's high sugar. And he was sent out with an antifungal medicine, no addressing of his sugar of 300. So he's been massively diabetic for probably at least walking around. And so, you know, we, we got him in, we taught him insulin therapy. And uh, this is how the system, it's like, you know, we talk about Swiss cheese model, Casey, you know, we have big holes in our medical system. So, I mean, you just heard a few holes there. It's like failure to diagnose, 
something that needs to be diagnosed immediately. And a severe, you're walking around with a sugar of 500, your body's an immediate risk. Like you could rupture a plaque, you're at immediate risk in the next 24 hours. And we let these people out the door. They try to make an appointment, administrative burdens, oh, there's no appointments, right? And they don't call the doc or anything. They just turn people away. And then they see someone who doesn't understand what they have, doesn't do the right thing. And the patient thinks they're getting the right treatment, but they're not. And it's not the doc's fault. It's not the patient's fault. I mean, there's, I mean, this is like why we train. I have medical students with me every day. So they, they're like, wow, that's like, no, they will never miss that. Yeah, so we teach him insulin and we call him to his pharmacy, you know, the electronically, and they deny the prescription. They don't call you or anything. Here's a guy who needs insulin now. Pharmacy denies the prescription. The patient, you know, they all have my text message, right? Because without that, they have to call front desk, right? And good luck getting through. Option seven, leave a message. So he's like, they denied my insulin. I'm like, what? <laughs> so we go, and, and the reason they denied it, so I had my staff call quickly seeing someone else. And, oh, they, they only fill one month at a time. So they didn't tell us that. They just denied it and sent them packing. So we put in one month. Okay. So we go back and put in one month and I say, I know this is going to get fucked up, right? I'm sorry if I said that you can bleed it out. So I call the pharmacy and we actually call in pen needles too. The, the insulin valves need these little pen needles. And so I call the pharmacy just to verify, okay, it's cool. Were you covering it? Like, oh yeah, yeah. We have it ready for him. And I'm like, what about the needles? He's like, well, no, we don't have any needles. And I'm like, what? You're going to give him insulin without the needles. Oh, we have to order those. I'm like, I know you are a pharmacy. So, I mean, like I didn't say this to him, but okay, you're going downrange, Casey. You're a Marine. We're going to give you your weapon, but not the, uh, not the, the bullets. Right. right. <laughs> like, right. Like, good luck. Yeah. We're like, good luck. You know, have a nice day. And I'm like, no, you have needles there somewhere. And he's okay. Let me look. And about two minutes later, because oh yeah, we found him a few. I'm like, we're not helping people, right? Like they were going to give the guy the insulin without the pen needles. It it's blows like, my mind. Insane. It blows your mind, and this and like it shouldn't have to be that way. But because I mean, he texted me, "Thank you," you know, "Thank you." I didn't go above and beyond and do anything extraordinary. All I'm doing is trying to help people have their human right fulfilled. You know, if you have diabetes, it's your human right to get care and what you need to help your diabetes. And if we have administrative burdens, barriers, you know, pharmacies, people that just don't want to help. And I think as clinicians too, you know, I, I think it's easy for us just to pass the buck of blame. Oh, the insurance companies suck. The pharmacies suck. The administration is no good. No, it's on us, right? Like all that stuff will never get better, right? We live in America, our healthcare system. If you're waiting for some wonderful new system that's going to be patient-centered, and that's what the medical students see, they say, look, this. I hope you learned something from this. Don't complain about the insurance companies, the pharmacies. Just do the right thing for the person in the room, and you'll sleep better at night. And until there's some better system, that is the way it is, and you have to help that person. You know, we got him a continuous glucose monitor yesterday. You know, that hadn't been ordered either. And he comes back today and he learns how to use it. You know, so, so like everything, you know, so we took care of him. And now I follow him on my screen because he's starting insulin now. And we have to make adjustments, you know, day to day until he gets it figured out. So like this isn't like come back in three months. He's a new diabetes patient who's not making insulin, who needs to learn how to use insulin, needs to learn how to use long and short acting insulin 
you know, what the effects of food, exercise, sleep, like, but he'll learn that if he has, and he's smart. He's like, oh yeah, like that all makes sense. Keep it really simple and basic and he'll teach himself. But sorry to kind of go on there, but that's, that happens like every day. Like the system is designed not to help patients. Wow. That's so so have to teach patients to help themselves advocate for themselves and find a clinician that's going to be an angry voice if something gets denied, right? It's usually some little checkbox you just didn't do. The the role of the insurance companies is just to deny everything outright and then they save money. But if you push back, you know, we're not asking for the moon here. This is a diabetes patient who needs insulin. You know, that should be illegal. It, It actually is illegal what they did because you can get insulin over the counter without a prescription. Oh, wow. And I didn't know the that. Patient didn't know that. Yeah. The patient didn't know, well, it would just give me the over the counter. He was, he hadn't had diabetes until at least new till that day. Like he, he didn't even, he had never used insulin before. And that's kind of not how you want to do it either. You know, here right. it's type one and just traveling and they forgot something and they need, they're out of their insulin. They should be able to go to any pharmacy, any place in the world. And, and it's like oxygen to them, right? Without it, they, they don't You're live. fatal. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. yeah. So, so that's why these laws exist. That you know, you could get insulin without a prescription. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I was not aware of that. So, all of the things that you mentioned earlier—they're all valid concerns. Administration, uh, coding for doctors, um, the time that you have to see your patients is extremely limited. Like these are all really mm-hmm. valid concerns, and I don't fault any doctor from really struggling with those things. So what, what are you doing that other doctors are not doing that, that yeah, to you might not seem like you're going above and beyond. How, how are you able to bring new systems into hospitals around eating? You're able to give people, your patients resources and books that you have written about, you know, how to eat low carbohydrate on a budget. Like you're, you're just doing it. You're getting it done. What, what makes you different than some of the other doctors out there? Yeah, there's other folks doing similar to what I do, Dr. Westman. He has a nice team around him. You know, unfortunately, I don't have a really good supportive team. I wish I had like a wingman, I could, a wingwoman I, who would be a trained RD that could sit down for two hours with every patient. That's why we wrote the book, Low Carbon, Any Budget. Here's 101, read this book. You know, this will at least be a start. And you, you, you kind of go beyond what is normal, right? So, so like, you know, the modern... And I, I try to teach the medical students that that being a doctor is a vocation. You know, I'm the you know for better or worse, I'm the last one out of the office clearing my inbox. I'm there at six thirty, finishing my notes, answering messages. You know, and it does burn you out. So, so like you know, everyone else is out of there four to five o'clock home. Um, they aren't like their patients don't have their mass direct messaging, but everyone chooses their their barriers like what they want between them and and their patients. But I think. Either help people or you don't is kind of my mantra. Like, like you can't have help these people with diabetes because they, once you fully help them, then ultimately they don't need your help much anymore because they learn, right? They're learning how to ride the bike. So it takes a little more front-end investment. I walk them in over lunch. You know, so the guy that I just mentioned came back today over lunch and we looked at his glucose monitor, you know, because that wasn't even an appointment. It's like he doesn't know how to use the thing. So put it on him, linked him to my phone. That didn't take that long taught him a little more about how the insulins work because that was like day one of insulin looked at it so, so like yeah that you kind of do what you need to do it's more intense on the front end but honestly like if you looked at big system picture so this guy you know his hemoglobin a1c is 14 sugar 500 so we put some time in him on the front end then we won't have to do dialysis on him later on which is high high intense 
high resource driven, you know, and that's if he doesn't have a heart attack first, because cardiovascular disease is the main cause of death of diabetes patients, you know, and that's usually 50% of sudden cardiac death, 50% of, of cardiovascular disease presents as sudden cardiac death because they rupture a plaque, you know, so the ones who somehow don't have that happen end up on dialysis if they walk around with that level of sugar for an extended period of time. So front-end resources, prevention versus high-intense, high-expense resources later. Yeah. But um, I, I think when students work um, and see this, they, they, you know, it shows them what a vocation is and, and they actually enjoy it. And I, I hope some of them, this rubs off no matter what field they go into, that, you know, it was in the first Osler textbook, like 1880, you know, the first like less or the first thing about caring for patients, it's like a, a, a premise, right? Is caring for patients, right? So it's not what you know. It's like, I care about you. I'd probably misphrasing that, but that's kind of the, the gist of it. Mm. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question with these students. Do you see that that is catching on? Do, are they realizing that, yes, this might require a little bit more time on that front end? Like you mentioned, I might not get paid as much as I thought I would to see people every 10 minutes or whatever it is, but you understand that you are truly making a life. Is that really catching on with these guys? I, I hope so because they finished a week, they'll rotate, you know, for a week, two weeks. And like, you just kind of debrief and, and like, Eric would probably, they rotate with him and they'll probably tell him the same thing. They're like, that was wild. I've, I've never seen outcomes like that. Wow. You know, like I could open up my patient list from yesterday, you know, 40 pounds down off diabetes, medications, A1C down, feeling better. You know, it's not like one out of 30. It's pretty much, that's the expectation. It's almost all of them are making like really amazing change. You know, that everything is going in the reverse direction. They're not progressing. And then you have people that struggle, not everyone, you know, switches their diet and loses 40 pounds and gets off meds, you know, so it's, but it's certainly a, a large percentage and better than zero that if they just kept doing what they were doing to get into that mess, you know, their odds of making it go away are zero. So yeah, they see it. They're like, that's, I've never seen anything like that before. And they see the joy, you know, so if I'm a doc Casey and every day I'm going into visit after visit, well, you're getting worse. Here's two new medicines, more tests. Right, the patient leaves that visit. Do they feel good about that? No. <laughs> Do I feel good about that? No. Yeah. Now the quality checkers, you know, you added this med because their blood pressure is up, the stat because their cholesterol's up, or you met criteria for aspirin or some other blood thinner. Like you're meeting all these, you know, quality check boxes, but you're not happy and the patient's not happy. And it adds more work burden because it's more stuff. Now, if you, I went in fear my patient and you can't come in. Like this was like my 330 patient yesterday. He's a 60 year old guy, needs a hip replacement. And uh, he's been doing carb reduction because you I work in our orthopedic clinic because they have to get their BMIs less than 40 to be eligible for surgery because mm -hmm. right? there's high risk in orthopedic joint replacements with high BMIs, body mass index. And yesterday, he's about 35 to 40 pounds in about three to four months. He can't exercise at all now. He's wearing these Bermuda shorts that he hadn't worn in like 20 years. You know, I didn't even know. I was like, I like your shorts. He's like, yeah, like I got these out of the closet. You know, I haven't worn these in a long time. You know, and uh, his hip still hurts, but he's like, yeah, my energy's better. I'm feeling better. My sleep is better. My concentration's better. And his BMI was 37. You know, he had started from like mid 40s. So he's eligible now to get his hip replaced. 
So that was like joyful. It's like, well, just keep doing what you're doing. Now you're eligible to get your hip replaced. And then he'll really be able to enjoy life again because yeah. his hip is like gone. Like he's walking with, with assist, you know, so, so now he could go play golf again. He's safer, you know, he's less inflamed, but that's joyful. Like I, you know, I mean, we just had a nice conversation about what he's cooking and about how to, you know, kind of strengthen up a little bit before surgery, you know, to get his muscles strong, quad strong, kind of prehab. Um, I had a student with me and just let the patient talk, just, you know, tell the student what you're doing. And they explain, oh yeah, I'm having eggs for breakfast now. What did you have before I was eating cereal? Like, like you can't unsee it. It's, it's, right. it is what it is. This isn't theory The the N of one, N of two, N of three, like as the day goes on, they're right in front of you. Yep. Yeah. Right. Another patient too came in. This is like, you know, my three o'clock patient, a female who had lost, uh, insulin resistant female had lost about 30 to 40 pounds doing carb reduction about two years ago. And then she had an obstructive uh, stone, uh, impacted gallstone and her liver enzymes and all these things went up and then this, the stone passed, but somewhere along the way in the messaging in the hospital was, well, that carb reduced diet must've caused that problem, you know, which, which isn't true. So went off the, the way of eating, gained all the weight back. And, uh, so Yesterday, it was just confirmation. It was like, no, we looked at her scans. This had nothing to do with your way of eating, right? This had nothing to do with your way of way of eating. Um, so, so yes, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, she'll, she'll do fine. That's amazing. And, but just needing that reassurance. She's like, how'd you feel on when you were eating low carb? Oh, my God, I felt like a million bucks. You know, I felt great making energy. <laughs> and now it's like, I don't feel like crap. Yeah. So, so just give them permission to do what worked. And what made them feel good, and you kind of go from there. But that's, yeah, it's just like story after story. It's it's just wonderful. It's amazing. It brings me joy. I leave every day. You can and, tell. You know, it's hard work, but it's like that was a fun day. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was a fun day. You can tell. I, you know, I I had the privilege of working on a metabolic cart for over a decade, and so actually measuring VO two max and fat oxidation and carbohydrate wow. oxidation. That's what led me to low carb. But like like the, the the feeling that you would get, like yeah, you know trainers, we don't make tons and tons of money, but we, you know, we had a nice career and we would help people understand, you know, how many calories they were burning and things like that. And, and knowing that you were telling these people stuff that first of all, they weren't going to be able to execute anyway. And even if they did, they weren't going to see success And year after year after year of just you're here's another diet. It's calorie restricted. It's failing. Eat the whole grains, do the meal preps, have all your snacks, a year after year, you just, it, it, it's a fail, 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 fail. And to see exactly what you pointed out that like, maybe not everybody is going to be fully cured by low carbohydrate, but it's kind of really tough to find people who won't be. It sure seems like if you're giving this at least half a try, you're going to feel so much better. And I would argue like if I have my salary, I would be so much happier helping people get on something that is actually going to work that I have a really tough time finding people who it's not going to work for at many, many levels. It, it is, it's just so much more fun. Like money is and everything helping people and having a purpose in life and really changing lives it's 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 the best drug there is it's incredible yeah you don't get burnt out you know so i mean the only things that burn me out is administrative burden and you know and people criticizing what you do who don't know what you do so you waste time having to defend what you do and i shouldn't have to do that yeah you know to talk to the patients you know so i waste way too much time 
doing that stuff as anyone else in this space in academic medicine. I right? talked to Eric, right? So we're like trying to die. We're like literally dying on the hill uh, doing this stuff, but yeah. we will die on the hill because it's the right thing to do. But you know, now we have a tribe, like, you know, look, look our keto salt like, right? You have a tribe of these docs around the world and it's the wisdom of the crowds, right? So the people are driving this change, you know, the patients, right? You know, that now there's how many Pinterest sites of carb reduction and Facebook pages because like it works, right? How'd you hear about that? Oh, the internet, you know, what about your doctor? Did they ever t- tell you about carbohydrate reduction for your diabetes? No, but my friend over here, you know, she really is helping me, right? They're getting the help despite the medical system in most cases, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a physician, nurse practitioner, physician assistant who understands this, who works with you, you're very blessed to keep seeing them. Um, if you don't have someone supporting you, find someone else or you don't need their support. Go, you know, read, be your own experiment and of one, see how you feel. Yeah, that's right. There are so many amazing resources. I mean, I, I probably would not be doing what I'm doing in the low carbohydrate space without great podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. yeah. There's, I, I, you it's get them for PhD free. They're easy. It's amazing. And yeah. E-books, audible books, right. Just yep. pick up any, you know, audible book yep. on Yep. Gary Taubes' book, Audible. You know, oh, it's incredible. Really stuff. Yeah, yeah. We Robert live in a really amazing time. He's yeah, he's amazing too. And like you, if you want it bad enough, you will find resources. It doesn't have to be expensive. Your diet doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be terribly time consuming. You can decide not to ever listen to music in your car and just put on a few good podcasts and keep that front of mind. And that can be enough motivation for you to change your life. And and you'll immediately start reaping the rewards, which is incredible. In your talk at Keto Salt Lake, you really were talking to medical professionals, but you also opened it up to really anybody. If you're working with somebody as it could be a trainer, could be a nutritionist, could be you're just supporting a family member. What things, what what pieces of advice would you give to those people who are trying to help others to be more compassion, compassionate and bring that to their lives? I mean, just be there for people. Make yourself accessible to people. When when I like when I give people my cell phone and email, they're like, wait, you're giving me your cell phone? I'm like, yeah, how can I not help you? And I've never had any of these folks like text me in the middle of the night wanting antibiotics for their kids. They respect that space, but they use it when it helps, right? Like if I'm not knowing what's going on and they come back three months later and everything's off the rails, we just wasted three months. You know, so if we can like something's going a little off the rails in a week, and their next appointment's in two months, like we're gonna be able to correct that a little bit. You know, so so yeah, it's not massively time consuming. I mean, this is a connected world. Like if we're not using, you know, real-time communication, continuous care, that's the Verta model, right? It's not episodic care, come back in two months. Diabetes, metabolism, obesity is continuous care. Like if we're not offering that to people, it's not really going to work. And it hasn't worked because they need like that day-to-day, at least early on, and then they'll start to sort it out. But we should be doing that. Um, It's not compensated correctly in our system, but that's okay. It, It is what it is. But like it brings us joy and people get better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting to make what a cardiac surgeon does, but that's not wine and business. Right. Right. No. And, and again, I'm I a just, minimalist, right? I don't wear shoes. <laughs> so, exactly. I, mean, I don't need, like I live minimal, like, like I got a little plug in Carl back. So it's, it's nice, you know? Yeah. That's so, great. <laughs> that's great. Don't need shoes. Have a few shirts. Don't eat so much food. Yeah, it, it's really inexpensive. Whatever's left in your 401k, you know, but don't take it out this year because it's all in the, in the pots, right? Wait 
10 more years. Yep. That's right. That's right. So I want to just reemphasize that point. So for other, you know, people who are helping others, practitioners, anybody in this space, if they're hearing that you're, you're really saying that to, to give your people, your cell phone is not terribly burdensome or it requires tons of time or is taking away from the things that you enjoy in life. No, no. Cause I'll be out like, you know, yeah, I'll be out running right now. Just, uh, administered two units of short acting blood sugar 336 you know so like this person we're gonna have to probably add a little bit more right so this is the guy who's just starting out on insulin you know yeah so let's uh, wait four hours let's now let's because he's still high let's try four all right we'll, we'll play with that today but that that'll take 20 seconds to reply to that yeah he's not leaving a phone message like all that like that's like you have square wheels and now we have round wheels. Yeah. You know, you have a horse and buggy and now you have a car, right? If we're still playing, you know, your finger sticking once a day and you're expected to figure out like your blood sugar. I mean, and we have these devices that, you know, cost $75 for a month, you know, which is one of these monitors. Yeah. Right? That's not expensive, right? But you can learn. So you play with the modern tools you got. Yeah. And, Life will be a lot better in the end. Use what yeah. you have available to you. We live in an amazing time, like we were talking about. Yeah, maybe we could stuff isn't expensive. Yeah, maybe we could close just talking a little bit about continuous glucose monitors. I know that's a tool that you have used in your life again ten years ago, vastly different than what is available today. But what are some of the benefits of using a, a continuous glucose monitor? I mean, the benefits are just self-evident. You see exactly what's going on every minute of the day. You see what food does, exercise does. You know, yeah, and we, we can track changes. We can track medication changes. You know, you learn, right? We did a study here, a pilot study with new diabetes patients. No medication, right? The assumption is you need meds and you're going to need them for life. So we took the hypothesis, well, let's put a continuous glucose monitor on them and just give them a little guidebook, like that low-carb book I, I shared with you. And uh, four months, two-thirds of them made their diabetes go away without medicine. Remarkable. You know, I'll repeat that two thirds of them made their diabetes go away without medicine. It was a small pilot, 17 patients. But that tells you, at least in theory, okay, this is possible. Right? We've assumed that no one makes their diabetes go away. Now, two thirds of them without medicine. And, and they didn't have coaching. Actually, all we did was give them the book and, and the monitor, and they logged a little bit. So I don't think this needs like a massive support team. I mean, that just showed that just giving people good information and a way to track themselves, the potential is there. That's amazing. So I think that, I mean, that should scale up. You know, I mean, the NIH should do that, you know, for a few thousand people now. Um, but that, you know, small, that's why we do small pilots, you know, proof of principle yeah. that this can happen. Yep. So now I'm like, you know, how do we scale it up? But that's, yeah, so the, you know, the Libre is the cheapest, Abbott Freestyle Libre 2, um, available $75 without a prescription. You just need someone to write it for you, and it tracks on your phone, you know, so I can see what my sugar is right now. You know, I just hit the little button, my phone's plugged in here, and it gives you, like it holds about eight hours of data. So, you know, mine right now is is 104. Yeah, look at that. Back down. Yeah, what did I have for lunch? It went up to 150 for lunch. I had some vegetables, right? So I don't make insulin. So even the vegetables made it go up there. Yeah. And that was just some kale. Um, yeah, but the, you know, the usually it's pretty flat. 
Yeah, if you're not watching this and you're just listening on the screen, you can see all the different measurements and how your blood sugar is tracked over time. And I think you've commented on the past, like it's 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 uh, healthily boring. <laughs> it's kind of boring to see it. Like yeah. it would have been more fun to see you ten years ago when you were getting up in the middle of the night to eat oh, it's cereal. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you learn a lot. That would um, be a very boring. Even though the daily pattern. You know, this is like, it's boring, right? So mine goes up in the morning with cortisol and exercise. That's the highest it is in the morning is without eating. You wow. Make energy. Yeah. Wow. And then like it will be during the day, but wow. everyone's a little different, Casey. So everyone kind of learns themselves. So like if someone says your sugar will do this when you eat and they don't have a glucose monitor on you, they're making a hypothesis. That's right. That's right. That you need to, to check it. Yeah. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. People can eat carbs, right? It's not that the world can't eat carbs. Some people are fine with, with some degree of carbohydrate. That's right. That's right. But without that device, you will not know. You are making assumptions, like you said. And and to yeah. be able to track it, it is extremely self-correcting. And and that's proven by that study you said. We gave you a book. We didn't coach you on any of this. You, you will naturally okay. learn how to kind of coach yourself through that. I think that's wonderful. What a cool device. Yeah, it's it's cool. That discipline it's, and motivation to do it. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Dr. Mark Cucuzzello, this has been another super conversation. I really, really enjoy talking to you and learning from you. And I just, I, I love your approach. You're just out there doing it. You're not waiting for people to give you permission. You're not afraid of, you know, somebody coming down on you. You're just doing it. You're giving people the good information. You're texting your clients and patients and, and being that resource and really living that life of, of compassion with your people. And so I'm so grateful that we were able to connect again. I'm so grateful to get you back on the show. Where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work yeah my store two rivers treads.com and uh, i have a website that links to the store and my book run for your life which has a lot of resources drmarksdesk.com so people can go there if you're in west virginia just come by my store and if you're a diabetes patient in west virginia find me and um i'd love to help you yeah, that's awesome. We know that when you say we would love to help you, that you absolutely mean it. Um, you're such a great example of that. So thank you again so very much for everything you do. Thank you thank for you. your message Enjoy of there. compassion. And again, it's I'm always just so great to connect with you. Um, and so thank you again for being so generous with your time today and becoming, uh, the I think, first ever three-peat uh, guest on our show. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've got some great company on your show. So I, I, it's, a, it's a privilege, Casey. <laughs> well, it's an honor to host you. We'll send you a medal or a trophy or something. I don't need it. <laughs> I'll see That's you at awesome. the next conference. That sounds great. That, that sounds okay. great. We'll see you at the next conference. Yeah. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium 
podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.